Hello and welcome to the pick with Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westman. Guys, I forgot to look up a bit before the start of this podcast. My bad. Um, I, just pretend that I said like I drive a Ferrari or something, and I'm so cool, so rich. Okay. Um, because because this week we are talking about Boiler Room. Finally. Everybody's been waiting for it from day one. <laughs> now we're here talking about <laughs> Boiler Room, a movie from 2000 with Vin Diesel and Ben Affleck, but mostly Giovanni Ribisi from Friends and Avatar. So much Giovanni um, Ribisi. Who would, who would ever know? You sound know? like you got a problem with that. No, I was just surprised. Because a movie never has a lot of Giovanni Ribisi. He's like, he's a character actor. He just kind of shows up for a little bit and does something weird. Yeah. And then it was away. fun because, like, you picked this movie, Sean. I had no idea what it was. I assumed it was mostly Vin Diesel. And I saw, like, Ben Affleck was in there somewhere. So I'm like, he must be, like, mm-hmm. pretty prominent. And yeah. I took, like, a, a brief, like, glance at the poster, but didn't really take it in. <laughs> And Giovanni Ricci <laughs> is right there, front and center. Yep. Kind of an interesting yeah, the, selection of people they chose to be on the poster. On the poster I'm looking right. at with the money. It's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the most interesting poster because it's, I guess, a million dollar bill. But with the cast of this on it. Yeah. And like, so, heck, is this what a million dollar bill looks like? <laughs> it's the cast of Boiler Room. It's, it's got Boiler Room on it. It's got Tom Everett Scott on it. But... Yeah, it's got Tom Everett Scott. Is that Scott Kahn? Next Which to is the most tell. interesting choice because he's yeah. the most irrelevant name in this movie. Why isn't uh, like, it yeah, Ben Affleck like, or Nikki Cat? It should definitely be Nikki Cat um, yeah. because he's a prominent character, Greg. Um, as far as I know, Scott Kahn might have one line in the movie. Because all I remember is him starting a fight with that guy at the bar. He didn't even know they were filming. He's <laughs> <laughs> playing an asshole. I love that this. So I yeah, I did not know what this movie was, and then once I found out, like, oh my god, this is like douchebag, bro, Wolf of Wall Street. I was really excited. Yeah, yeah. Giovanni Ribisi is in the middle, but <laughs> Vin Diesel's head is way bigger, and so is Nia Long's, and mm. she is airbrushed so much that she's basically eyes and nostrils floating in a white void. Um, so I guess that's who they were marketing this movie towards, speaking of douchebags. Um, and it has a bunch of dumb things written on this million-dollar bill, too. Like, there's no such thing as making too much money or taking too many risks. <laughs> so did this movie come out yeah, I guess I could Google this and find out instantly. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is the same year as Fast and Furious, right? Or is it the year before? Yeah. yeah. So, like, did this come out a little bit after? And so they're like, okay, Fast and Furious is a hit. Let's make sure Vin Diesel's real, like, they got, is real big on this. Uh, wait, got, no, this is 2000, isn't it? This yeah, this is, is yeah. 2000. Yeah. So this is a year before Fast because Fast, Fast Furious is 2001. Okay. So I just I'm surprised that they're like Vin Diesel is this is the guy. 
like what compelled them to make his head so big on this? I was about to say pitch black. But I think even oh. that would be after this. Let me look up Pitch Black real quick. That was, uh, yeah, that was like kind of a hit. I like that movie. Maybe just Pitch like Black, yeah, which introduced the world to uh, Riddick. That's right, uh, Richard B. Riddick. <laughs> That's his name. It's like a Stan Lee character. Um, came out in February of two thousand, mm-hmm. and I just Oiler looked Room it up. Was also it came out the same day. The same day. <laughs> oh my, oh my gosh. God. So Hollywood was betting big on Vin Diesel on February 18th, 2000. So I guess they're just like, he was in Saving Private Ryan. He's the Iron Giant's voice. (laughs) His time has come. Okay, alternate theory. He's the only guy in the movie that looks different. (laughs) Everyone else looks like Willard, and Vin Diesel has this big, beautiful head. Everyone else has Richie Rich haircuts, but like then there's like this interesting like he hasn't quite committed to being bald yet, but he's like he's no. got a great look. No, I, I love it. You can you can tell that he's uh he's not buzzed his hair out of just just a desire yeah. for that look. You it can looks tell good it's kinda though. going. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like how he looks. I like him in this movie. Spoiler, I like this movie. I like this movie too. Yeah. Yeah. A pleasant surprise. I thought this was going to be like, oh, God, it's going to be so boring. I don't, what, what even is this? But it had that kind of like kinetic energy that a lot of 90s movies had where they had like the narrator who gets really into the into the, the details of how everything works and all, you know, this very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a crime movie, you know, kind of somewhere between like Fight Club and like Goodfellas. But like yeah. a lot less important. <laughs> but an interesting subject and in a way kind of like it's kind of beating wolf of wall street to the punch a little bit yeah that's what i I was thinking because it takes like the good fellas formula and applies it to not not quite wall street but guys doing you know stock stock broker stuff and so yeah it basically just equals wolf of wall street but like before way before I thought I read that Jordan Belfort took credit for this too. Like, yeah, this is also kind of based on me. <laughs> I mean, sounds about right. Um, yeah, yeah uh, not surprising. And I would also compare this a little bit to The Sopranos, but I'll get to that in a little bit because first, my boys, we have to do our little picks. Um, and as for me, my little pick is gonna be Star Wars Jedi Survivor. And I have to put the pauses there because the title is really confusing. Like, where do you think the colon is in the title? Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I mean, it should be after. It should be after Star Wars. No, it's after Jedi. Star Wars Jedi Survivor? Right. Star Wars Jedi Survivor. It's a sequel to a game called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which I also thought should have been called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. <laughs> um, it's okay. But that's basically my biggest beef with this uh, fledgling uh, massive franchise. 
they're developed by Respawn Entertainment, the people that made um, the Titanfall games as well as Apex Legends. And uh, I'm rooting for them, I guess. They're, they're part of Electronic Arts, which I know nobody likes, but uh, I, I like those games, even, even Apex Legends, even though like people playing Apex Legends got too good too fast for me to keep playing it. Um, and uh, they're, the games are kind of based on the uh, like Dark Souls style of, uh, of games. I, I think that you would call that maybe Souls-like is the name of that genre. Um, but set in a uh, Star Wars universe, specifically in the um, like Obi-Wan Kenobi showtime, that sort of middle gap between the end of episode three and the start of episode four. Um, and they follow a guy named Cal Kestis, who was a Padawan when the purge happened, and he looks like Archie. Uh, and uh, he's uh, he's still keeping up his uh, his Jedi ing ways, um, and he's uh, and he's uh, you know sort of uh, trying to find his way uh, in an era when the Empire dominates everything, and there isn't really a uh, rebellion so to speak um and i don't know the game's uh, real fun it's kind of like an open world thing you do get to go to uh different worlds but there's kind of one main open world that you're going to spend most of your time in you get to fight with a lightsaber that you can use in all the cool lightsaber ways you can fight with two lightsabers you can have a saber staff like darth maul had you can even have like a like a broadsword style lightsaber like how uh kylo ren had his lightsaber and you can like customize how it looks and what color the blade is, and you get to fight stormtroopers. And also, this game adds in like all the fun types of battle droids from the prequel trilogy. So like the really wimpy battle droids and and the really scary ones that roll around and have shields and shoot a bunch of lasers at you. And even those ones from Revenge of the Sith that had like uh, like not lightsabers, but they're kind of like you know sparkly sticks. <laughs> So you can kind of sword fight those guys. Um, it's 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 a fun uh, story uh, about uh, you know kind of what it was like being a Jedi survivor in this uh, difficult time in in the Star Wars universe, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I think it's a it's a step up from from Fallen Order, uh, although uh, on PC apparently that it has a ton of technical problems that. Uh, are really making it miserable uh, for for folks who play it there, but uh, I had it on PlayStation, so no complaints for me. Good, good game, good time. Do you need to play the first game to play the second game? They do a recap of the plot uh, at the start of this one, so uh, not really. No, I mean it will spoil the first game for you. Um. There is a generational leap, though. Um, so I don't know if you can play this game, John, because you have to have a PS5 or an Xbox Series, and I don't think you have. I will get one yet. When they can convince me, I need one. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been a game for me yet where I'm like, gotta get it for that one. I think it's. I think I will end up getting a new console whenever the new Grand Theft Auto ends up coming out. I think that yeah. will be the title. Even though that'll probably be for everything, but I feel like 
that's when I'll upgrade. Until then, I don't know what could possibly make me drop. How much is one of those consoles cost right now? Uh, well, I think the cheapest one is the Xbox Series S, but I think that's still like $300. Oh, that's actually not that bad. Let's see. Well, I don't know. Yeah, $299.99. Um, okay. Yeah. Well. I think it's actually really interesting what you're talking about because um, the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, recently had to do an interview because they put out a game that was so bad he needed to do damage control. I heard about that. And he said, like, they lost the console wars. Yeah, well, he talks about how this is the first time we had a new console generation where, like, a lot of the gaming people are doing is, like, on games that already existed. Like, people are still playing Minecraft and Roblox and Fortnite and Destiny. Um, and I guess I guess Call of Duty iterates every year. But I think even Call of Duty is still releasing on last generation and this generation. Um, which is weird because we're, like, three years into this console generation and we, it just hasn't switched over it's uh it's it's a unique time um yeah dude are any of your little picks unique <laughs> unique i don't think um, mine's unique is yours unique yeah, that's Colin? a tough one um I wouldn't say it's unique. It's just like taking familiar things and doing it really well. Uh, I'll just do my little pick since it also has interesting punctuation. Okay, let's uh, break it down. Okay, so it is the new album by Jesse Ware. And the name of it is That! Exclamation point. Feels good! Exclamation point. Yeah. Yeah. So I you you could add as guess, but I would have won. This I is like how Ace Ventura yeah. talks. That, <laughs> <laughs> that oh, feels good. Yeah, but when he her says last album it, was also like a question, wasn't it? Was it? Wasn't it? it? What's was, your pleasure? Or what's your pleasure? Like, like question mark. She likes. I think there's a question mark. Yeah, there's a question mark. She likes punctuation, I guess. What's she gonna do next? Mm. Ellipses. Ellipses would be good. You don't want to go down to just a. Well, I guess you would call it a full stop, a period. Because she's British. Is that what they say? They call them a full. That's why there's that Coldplay lyric that's like, "I'd rather be a comma than a full stop." That's weird. It feels like too too much to make it two words. I guess it's the same amount of syllables. Um, anyways, I did listen to that last Jesse Ware album, What's Your Pleasure? Um, that mm. was kind of my introduction to her, even though she's been around for a little bit. Um, I feel like she's kind of bigger in the UK than the US. Mm, just like uh, the inverse Ted Lasso. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. But Ted Lasso is American. And we love our Americans. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, I liked that album, uh, What's Your Pleasure? But I also just... There were just so many good albums that came out in 2020. Uh, and I spent a lot of time listening to them because I had a lot of time mm -hmm. on my hands. And so I guess that's how I kind of got around to listening to like this kind of straight-up pop album from this 
this artist who's been doing good stuff for a while. And um, I mean, I like that album, but this this one just like Furby takes it to a whole other level. What what she's doing, like taking sort of classic pop sounds. Um, it's particularly like pretty disco funk influence, but also kind of reminds me of like a lot of early '90s like dance music. Like there's this song, uh, the the lead single, "Free Yourself." To me, it sounds like if uh, Madonna's Vogue and Freedom 90 by George Michael had a baby. (laughs) And it's like, that is just such a fun, cool sound. Like that very pristine, like piano sound, but combined with like hyperactive dance beats. And just like, I mean, the whole album is very sort of about like... um, I don't know, like sexual freedom. And that is fun for a singer who is a little bit older than us and has three children at this point. But there's just like this very carefree, like self-actualized feel to the album where she's just like having a great time. And these songs are so fun. They're all just really catchy, really, uh, I don't know, easy to get stuck in your head. Um, Great summer album. And, uh, yeah, it's only been out for a few weeks, but I, I, I've already kind of <laughs> made it one of my, my favorites of, of the year, I think. Um, nice, dude. Yeah, I'm really digging it. Sounds like this might be good for my John's Late Night Dance Party playlist. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely very danceable. That's great. <laughs> I've been scouting for some new talent Yeah, the playlist. I mean, it definitely kind of reminds me of that Dua Lipa album, uh, Future Nostalgia, that came out a couple of years ago. I guess the same. Made my top ten. Jesse Ware's last album, yeah, twenty twenty. But uh, yeah, definitely got that kind of retro feel to it, which I I'm impressed by the fact that it's like still kind of refreshing on this album because a lot of kind of modern pop artists have been doing the disco thing, but I like that it kind of mixes that that disco aesthetic with kind of other eras of dance music as well. All right, John, the pressure is on because Colin and I both picked something that was released on April 28th. Of the year. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Damn it. Well, mine was, it was April 5th. <laughs> oh, so close. Yeah. Same month. Um, Same month. Yeah. And it's uh air. The Ben Affleck movie now on Amazon. <laughs> oh Prime. hell yeah, dude! A movie that I both really liked and also despise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because Air is the inspiring story of how Nike was struggling in their basketball division of the shoe company, and then hired uh, Matt Damon to sign Michael Jordan and create Air Jordans. Like, it's not even like, if he failed, it's like, they'd still be around, they just wouldn't be as successful. Because <laughs> in this movie, or I guess it's just true to history, too, it's like they were third place in, like, sneakers. Like, uh, Adidas was on top and Converse, and then Nike. They were just known as, like, a running shoe company. Um, What's so funny is, too, is I, I heard that this movie was basically conceived because the writer of it, Alex Convery, was watching... The Last Dance, and there's a part where they talked about how it was tricky to sign Michael to Nike, and the, and the guy's like, "That might be a good movie," so he just wrote that. <laughs> and it's it is fun, like it is very much in that kind of like 
Moneyball type subgenre of just like a movie about a guy who's good at his job. <laughs> Which I feel like Matt Damon has done before because Ford vs. Ferrari, another movie where he's a guy who's good at his job. Um, but yeah, uh, Matt Damon plays uh, real life ba- uh, basketball scout Sonny Vaccaro, who was hired by Nike to try to acquire basketball talent. And he being an expert on basketball players like we gotta get this Michael Jordan guy even though Michael Jordan already like ha- was promising to go with Adidas this is like he's already he's been drafted but he hasn't started his career with the Bulls this is 1984 and it's him trying to like convince the Jordan family mostly talking to Michael Jordan's mom who's uh, Viola Davis and she's pretty good in this uh, she's good yeah and it's just the writing's good and it's fun but also like well, this movie doesn't need to exist, and I really don't like <laughs> how they portrayed Phil Knight or that they've made him like a fun like character at all. Because I despise <laughs> Phil Knight ever since I saw mm-hmm. that movie Clay Dream and heard about like how he stole Vinton Studios and gifted it to his son so it could become Leica, and how Phil Knight is like for years been trying to make like Oregon conservative by just like donating millions and millions to Republican causes. He's a huge asshole. He, he totally lucked into Nike's success, too. Like, even, like, Ben Affleck, even, because Ben Affleck plays Phil Knight, even admits, like, in the movie, like, yeah, I didn't come up with a name. I didn't come up with a logo. I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, what a piece of shit. Like, I can't believe this guy is, like, our co-lead. Um, it's funny because it sounds like the same sort of dynamic he had with Matt Damon in the last duel. Oh, really? He's just like he's like the like the, the he's like higher up in their like feudal hierarchy than Matt Damon is and Adam Driver. So they have to kind of like suck up to him, and he's just like, I don't really give a fuck about what's going on. I mean, Matt Damon plays a great in- everyman. Ben Affleck plays a good like kind of like weirdo. He <laughs> kind of is a weirdo. So. But the movie is like super light and super fun. Uh, it's a little too like '80s for my taste. Like obviously it is the '80s, but I feel like they would take every opportunity. Like they'd be in the Nike office and they're like, "Let's cut away to like a guy doing a Rubik's cube or something." It's like I get it. <laughs> it has like a billion needle drops. The one I think you'd like, Sean, is the part where Matt Damon is driving through North Carolina, listening to "In a Big Country." Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I think this is you got. You should watch this movie with like your dad, Sean, on a father son movie night. <laughs> I think you guys have a good time. I had a good time. I like this movie. I just like don't like that it's like a huge commercial for Nike. Um, yeah. yeah, I kind of want to see it, but I think that kind of kept me away from like seeing it in theaters. Is like the idea that it it is just a giant commercial and i realize we live in a capitalist society where like a lot of the stuff we get to make it has to be a commercial basically at this point in order to get made it's just the way of the world but it's still seems a little icky i guess this does bring up john is there a like redeeming interesting angle to this story or or does it just play as like like Colin saying like it's it's a commercial that's like kind of interesting um I mean there are interesting things about this collaboration with Michael Jordan that I, I there's little things but I don't really think there's that much different you know there's <laughs> stuff like oh before this like basketball shoes 
could all could have to be like all white, but they like would made made the shoe mostly red, and they paid the fines. And then the, also like Viola Davis's character is like, I want Michael to take like a part of the profits of this shoe, which wasn't a thing for athletes back then to like get like part of the merchandising. Um, so I guess that was a big deal. I don't know. Very like specific niche things that your average person wouldn't really care about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but good cast. Jason Bateman's in there too, collecting a paycheck. Mm. He doesn't really do anything. There's a lot of great people in it that don't like do that much. That have like two scenes, but they're still good. Chris Tucker's in who plays, it. Who plays Michael Jordan? So they 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 make the conscious decision to like really not include Michael Jordan. Like you never even see his face. Oh. He's like there, and like you'll see the back of his head, and you'll like hear him. Sometimes, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they wanted to kind of mis- mystify him somewhat. Um, but no, it's it's it was fun. It's it's fun to see Matt Damon and Ben Affleck working together again. This is like the first film of their new like production company, where they're like, our thing is not doing like Marvel shit or like IP shit, <laughs> doing like just like you know dramas even though their first movie is like a nike commercial <laughs> yeah yeah they kind of lost the thread there still good good time obviously not as good as moneyball but if you like moneyball i think you'd enjoy this just because it's fun to get into the business of this stuff too and people making deals and you know a smart guy trying to convince everybody else that what they know about the business is wrong kind of a fun angle um, you mentioned moneyball how much how well does it compare to jerry Maguire? um i don't know i mean jerry Maguire, i feel like takes quite the detour from the sports world <laughs> for a good chunk of the movie it's, i feel like it's more of a rom-com to me this is like all about the business we don't really know anything about matt damon outside of he really wants this deal to work and it's, it's funny how, like, they try to make, like, emotional arcs for people. Like, Jason Bateman's like, I only get to see my kid once a week. And she's like, but she loves that I work for Nike. And she's, like, so impressed by the shoes. And, like, if we lose this deal, I won't even have the shoes anymore. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But, like, it works. Like, in the moment, I'm like, oh, man, I hope this deal works. But then when you reflect on it later, like, wait, that wasn't really that important. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, like, that's totally the Ford v. Ferrari experience, too. Oh, yeah. Where it's like Matt Damon really wants to make this deal happen with the biggest company on the planet. I think, yeah. I I was looking back at my letterbox review. I was like, the inspiring story of how a big company destroyed a more interesting, innovative company. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Um,. So speaking of Ben Affleck, where was Ben Affleck in 2000? Wasn't he doing reindeer games? He's doing reindeer games. (laughs) 100% doing reindeer games. Which Vin Diesel was cast in and then dropped out. I wonder if that's... He was going to... I I talked about on our episode. He was going to play the Donald Logue character. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it's not, not that interesting. But he's like, this <laughs> character. is bad. And, but he, he was, was right. He was, I mean, he was right. <laughs> bad movie. It's just amazing that even like early on, Vin Diesel was like selective with his projects. Yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, he's put together like a, I mean, maybe not the best career, but like an, if we compare him to someone like The Rock, a way more interesting, varied career. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think The Rock puts much thought into the film that he's making. I don't think he thinks of them as movies or as film. I think they're movies. They're they are products. They are deliverables that mm. he contributes. What he can contribute to them. Yeah. Um, people know what they're buying, and then they get it, and then he moves on to the next thing, and he will happily promote it. But I don't think he has any integrity as an artist. Yeah, or, which by the yeah. way, I think is is like kind of fine for what he's doing. Like I don't. That's yeah, okay. I don't need The Rock to care what he does because he's just gonna make bad movies anyway. Mm-hmm. It um, does seem like a waste though, because there's some genuine <laughs> charisma there. It, it, it's you know it's tough to see someone with talent decide not to try. Um, and that's why I expect someone like Vin Diesel because like he's been pretty consistent throughout his career. Where, like he doesn't mind being part of an ensemble, and yet he likes to like challenge himself. Maybe not as much anymore, but for a long time he would do dramas. Remember that? Um, what was that courtroom movie that he did? I saw that Find in me theaters, and I thought it was pretty good, and I liked him in that. Like I remember that feeling so crazy back then that he was doing that, but I thought it worked. So that was also before he had returned to Fast and Furious. Wow, that was uh, <laughs> you know post post Triple X pre you know babylon ad well he kept like launching like successful franchises and then leaving them it's like fast furious big hit i'm gone triple x hit i'm gone but you know Uh, it's not like but he was doing interesting stuff in between yeah well and 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 the start of his career is also different from the rock right where the rock is a football player and a wrestler who then becomes an actor versus Vin Diesel who has always wanted to be a filmmaker his whole life like uh his his I think it was his his adoptive father was a was an actor or like an acting teacher um and then he he went to uh acting school and and uh, I think he was a bouncer briefly or something like that just to pay the bills but he's always wanted to be someone um uh, who made movies, and that's why he did that um, multifacial um, short film about his his difficulty finding roles, which Steven Spielberg saw and led to him getting cast uh, in his first major Hollywood role, which is Saving Private Ryan in uh, 1998. Looks like that came out July of 1998. So he's still really early in his career then. At this point, so it was Saving Private Ryan and the Iron Giant the next year, and then this is the year after that, and also this is the year that Pitch Black comes out. So yeah, I think it does make sense that this is his um, big break as a as a more leading man. Although he's not, you know, those are both ensemble movies that came out in two thousand, right? Like Pitch Black, yeah. Riddick is the most interesting character, but it's not a Riddick movie. At least that's my understanding. It, it kind of it just is eventually because everyone else gets killed. <laughs> oh, so sort of like Alien with uh, with Ridley. Yeah, with Ripley. Yeah, Ripley. Because like Ripley. Cole, Cole Hauser and Keith David are in Pitch Black. You know, it's uh, all sorts of people, but uh, um, Riddick is the one that 
pulls through. That'd be I, I would like to watch that movie again. I don't I have no <laughs> I have literally zero interest in watching any of the other Riddick movies. But Pitch Black I saw on home video back in the day and I really liked. Fight evil with um, evil is the uh, tagline to Pitch Black. <laughs> pretty badass and i want i wonder if this is what led him to leave the fast and the furious and do triple x um because even in 2001 he does the fast and the furious even there he's not like the lead he's sort of the co-lead um and so maybe he didn't want to share the franchise maybe he thought it would be better for his career to do something where he's the sole lead um so we get triple x um, and and now he's, you know, on the other side of things in 2023, showing up on set out of shape and getting in arguments with the director to the point where he quits the uh, the movie. It's funny that it's so hard to imagine him doing a non Fast Furious movie now, but I feel like he will. Well, I mean, he's been doing Marvel movies for ten yeah, years. Yeah, but what does he really have to do? yeah where it's like i just feel like there's people like i can't imagine tom cruise ever doing like a magnolia ever again yeah for some reason i can imagine vin diesel wanting to try something weird again maybe not well he did he did um do you remember uh right at the start of the pandemic he had a movie come out you mean bloodshot bloodshot dude you know, now that I'm looking back, it's been a while since he's done, like, a drama. It, it hasn't been since, like, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, and that was a while ago. It's oh, he was in that, huh? Yeah. Shroom was his character's name. That's a movie Good that night. I'd like to see, but I feel like you gotta watch it, and it's, like, proper, like, presentation, which is, like, impossible. It's, like, extra frame, high frame rate. I didn't know it starred Joe Alwyn. The That's like the only thing I know him for. I mean, aside Mr. from Mr. Taylor, Swift. Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Yeah. Also, Chris Tucker from Air, man. Everybody. St- oh, uh, Steve Martin in a dramatic <laughs> role. What a fucking weird movie. What is this? <laughs> What's happening here? I've heard, like, when they presented it in its proper aspect ratio, though, like, it scared people. Like, it looked like. <laughs> It looked like they're like giants. Like there's just something weird about the technology and how it looked. And I would kill to see that. Sounds interesting. Sounds yeah, it sounds kinda like a valiant how, effort. But that kind how, of yeah. How like available was those screenings with the proper uh, probably uh, frame rate? Oh, I'm sure you could see it in like two theaters in the world. Oh. That's sad. I wonder what the frame rate was because I saw a high frame rate um, Hobbit sequels. I don't know if I saw the first one in high frame rate, but definitely um, Desolation of Slaughter. Says it was five armies. 120 frames per second. 120. I wonder if the Hobbit movies were just 60. How much was uh, Avatar? Or maybe they, they could have even been 48 frames. You're right. 48 frames. I'm looking it up now. What was the av- How much Avatar? Yeah, Avatar. Uh, also 48. Uh, I, yeah, I think... Oh, okay. So it so was 120. Like three times yeah. that. That's so, nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and for reference, most most movies are 24 frames per second. Yeah. Um, 
You'll although you will see a lot of stuff on TV that's 30 frames per second, so a little uh-huh. closer to 48. That's insane. That's supercharged. Wasn't Gemini Man speaking of Ang Lee also another one of those like weird frame rate movies? Oh, I bet it was. I don't remember how I saw it. How weird is it that I Ang Lee is like in his later like post 2000 like so experimented with so much technology? I mean, it's cool. It's admirable. Like Hulk, Life of Pi, even taking Woodstock. Like, yeah, he's gotten very into the tech. But like, you need those people to like make those weird ass movies to like propel the technology. You know, you, someone's got to yeah. be the the guy to fall on his sword. It's really weird. Like I, I recently went to a screening in theaters of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I was like, God, this is so good. It's really odd he didn't make another movie even like close to like similar to this. Just no interest in making another like martial arts movie. I mean, every movie well, following that is so different from the last movie. I know. He's yeah. just off on his own thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's admirable. If we did Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, have we done Vin Diesel before? Is this our first Vin on the pod? I think it probably is, right? It's gotta be. I mean, as you said, he's he's selective. And, uh, yeah. We haven't done any of his early movies. Well, we should do that. More recent movies are just, you know, movies we end up seeing anyways. Get some yeah. More I mean, we could have, I could have little picked maybe a Fast and Furious at some point. Like, yeah. Pat, like F9, maybe. Or Fine, as I like to call it. <laughs> sure. But this is our third Affleck. He's in our three timers. Three timers. I also found out this for... is our second Nikki Cat film. He plays like That's a. That's interesting. He plays a teen in the Burbs. Oh. oh, that's not what I would have expected. What would you What would you have guessed if you had to guess? No idea. I mean, it's just we've done a lot of like '90s and early 2000s movies, and it just feels like he would show up. Wait, in a lot of movies during that. Wait, era. yeah, he's in Batman and Robin. Oh shit! Oh, See? I forgot we covered that. So he's also there. <laughs> he's he's welcome to the three times. I know we gotta get into some more specifics, but I just want to say right off the, uh, off the top. I thought he was really good and was shocked I have not seen him in more things. Obviously, I remember him as the asshole from Days and Confused. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's basically Another the ben third. Affleck movie. Yeah, he's basically a little reunion. <laughs> he's basically the th- and isn't Giovanni Ribisi's sister in that? That is true. It's all connected. And she was, like, married to Beck or something. Oh, shit. Does that and mean also... Giovanni Ribisi is a Scientologist? Oh, maybe. I don't. Yes. <laughs> It's one of those people I think was like born into it, though. Mm. Um, I have a little more sympathy for those people because it's like this is just what they know. Sure. Um, but Nikki Cat, great. I am shocked he's not in more stuff. This is like his top, like you know when you go on IMDb and it shows like their their most the projects they're most closely associated with. This is Nikki Cat's yeah. first one. Is Boiler Room. <laughs> yeah. He deserved more chances, is what I'm trying to say. I saw he was in Dark Knight as, like, SWAT team member. <laughs> wow. But he's good. Job, Everyone job. is good in this movie, except for Jamie Kennedy. He's hor- He's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You didn't even remember, Sean, that he's in, he only he has like one. His introduction scene is so fucking annoying, and then he like disappears for like most of the movie. Yeah. Which one was Jamie Kennedy? He kept talking in like a dumb voice. He was like Nikki Cat's like jokey friend early on. Okay. Probably says the N word, but a lot of guys in this movie do because they're they're baddies. Yeah, man. They're not great dudes. It's the douches of Wall Street. Not even Wall yep. Street. They're fucking off in like Long Island or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but that's one of the great things about this movie. I don't know, Sean. Did you? I'll let you steer the ship. Yeah, I mean, the only background I was looking into really was um, the director and writer, who's Ben Younger, um, who uh, said that he uh, based this on his experience actually going to a job interview at a brokerage firm in like 1995. Um, and he like, like at that interview, he's like, no, this is the idea. This is a screenplay. And so he sort of pivoted from that job interview into, um, like interviewing and researching the, the world of this like telemarketing brokerage world. Um, and he eventually wrote the script for Boiler Room and he got to direct it as well, uh, which is pretty cool for him. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. I love that it came from a, a true life experience, too, because I didn't even know this was a thing. I guess it's one of those things you probably don't even know about until you've maybe experienced it, because it sounds like it's something that you want to keep on the down low. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, here, sometimes they call these underground brokerage firms chop shops. Like, Yeah, the, the, I mean, that's 100% what this is, is a chop yeah, shop. Yeah, some shady shit. Yeah. Um. I think um, one of the challenges with this genre of maybe it's not even big enough to be a genre. Maybe it's like a subgenre. But I think of movies that deal with Wall Street, like uh, Trading Places, like The Wolf of Wall Street, and Wall Street, and uh, <laughs> Margin Call. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Um, no. The Big Short is probably another Big one. Big Short. It's, um, I think the struggle with this subgenre is I always am not 100% sure what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing subject matter, and it's not really that interesting either. <laughs> right, and, th- and that's how it's designed, right? It's designed to keep, because yeah. if, if everyone understood it, everyone would be able to take advantage of, of it. Um, yep. So, like, honestly, most of my research was just done into, like, what this scheme is that they're doing in this movie. And, <laughs> wow. And I think I get it now. You do? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Um, so, like, here's... And spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> Skip ahead if you want so spoiler room spoiled. <laughs> 23 years late. Um, okay. So, Tom Everett Scott is the mastermind of this scheme and his the thing that he does is he creates shell companies uh basically he gets he gets his friends to invest money in a company that doesn't exist and he gets um we see in this movie right he gets uh, uh office space that that, that that no work is actually done in right yeah like we see there's like it's like a big office with just like phones on the ground there's like nothing that happens there but it's a company that exists on paper. And with that investment, um, he's able to take the company public um, and get an IPO, uh, which is 
initial public offering or something like that. Uh, but basically, like like the the first big sale of stock, like when when a company goes public. And by owning that company and also this separate um, investment firm, he can have all of his brokers get their buyers, the people like cold call, to buy the brand new stock in this IPO, right? And so what that does is it drives up the price of this junk company that doesn't do anything, it doesn't really exist. And so once they've sold enough stock to cover the initial investment, um, Tom Everett Scott and the other investors, the other insiders can sell their share of the company because they've driven up the price. They've created enough um, demand that they can sell their shares at a huge profit and then disappear. And when they disappear, that company, you know, that stock tanks because, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. And so all the people that they were cold calling basically lose their money because their, their stock they bought becomes worthless. But the but Tom Everett Scott and whoever else is on the inside, they get a shitload of money that they can then reinvest in in good stocks or just walk away with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's not like the movie mm-hmm. is like. I mean, it is complicated, but it presents it all for you. You just have to pay attention. Yeah, and I think it helps that I feel like they kind of give you like pieces of it throughout the movie, and it's it's to the point too like where most of the people there aren't even a hundred percent like how it works. Even Vin Diesel, who's like one of the top sales guys, like when like Giovanni Ribisi is like, you know what's going on here, right? Like he doesn't even quite understand like the scam yeah. aspect of it. So that's what helped me as a viewer. Like I was I was understanding enough of it. Really all I needed to know is this is a movie about like shady salesmen. Yeah. And if I figure it's out other people. stuff, then that's a nice bonus. But I didn't need to, like... Like, I don't always understand what's going on in, in succession. I mean, not as complicated <laughs> as this movie, but... As long as I understand the character dynamics and the, the kind of the, the dramatic thrust of it, I'm on board. And I appreciate yeah. that this is, like... I don't see a lot of movies that are about this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's a nice change of pace. Although, like we were saying, like, this is exactly what Jordan Belford was doing. Yeah. So... There is one other movie that did this, but that's uh, a decade plus later. Um, what was that like 2013? Oh god, we got the 10-year anniversary. Sounds of right. Street. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and yeah, I do. I think that scene that John referenced is is one of the best in the movie um, because I think up until that point, Giovanni Ribisi like really did think like Vin Diesel knew what was going on, but was just saying like, "Don't ask questions." But then he, he kind of like realizes no he really was just like n- himself not asking questions he was he was clueless to how they were screwing people he would just had found a good thing and was riding it out um, powerful stuff and and uh, you know and good on Vin Diesel for being uh, maybe the most sympathetic of this cadre of douchebags <laughs> that, uh, oh definitely yeah definitely I don't even think anyone else comes close. <laughs> um, if I can just go back to Ben Affleck, yeah. Um, I wonder mm-hmm. if he didn't have a lot of time. Uh, like he definitely was sold on the idea of getting to do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, 
monologues. Um, yep. <laughs> but he, he the is fact the Alec Baldwin. The fact that he gives the three of them like in the same set, and then he's like not really in the rest of the movie. Yeah, they makes probably me just, wonder. If, they probably just filmed like, all those scenes in one day. Yeah, if they're just like, here's our day with Ben. Yeah. And then like maybe we'll get him in some group shots later if he's around, if we can get him. But I, th- I think it's like really, like they're good. I like those scenes a lot, but I think it's just really funny that it's it's just a separate thing that like he needs to just like, get a monologue out that doesn't really change much for anyone. Um, just gives you more insight into the, sort of the mindset of these people. Uh, and then he disappears from the movie again. And it goes back to... Um, uh, Nikki Cat and Vin Diesel being kind of the main higher up guys that we interact with. I like bring them bringing him in in the Alec Baldwin, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross role. Yeah, I also love that this movie like references like Wall Street, like the movie, like they're all aware of it. <laughs> like yeah. I love it. I love it in movies when people are aware of like movies, and that seems like a weird thing. But like, and this here's this is a really weird comparison, but. I always hate in, like, zombie movies when everyone doesn't understand, like, I've been bit, I'm going to turn into a zombie. No one, like, gets it. Like, (laughs) you, like, or they don't call them zombies. Like, oh, I got bit by a a dead head. (laughs) Yeah, like in in The Walking Dead where they're, like, they have to call them walkers. No one ever says the word zombie for some weird reason. Yeah, so I like that this movie is, like, aware. It knows what it is. All the guys, like, know what, like, are aware it, it, it's that self-awareness i i appreciate it just makes and it feel more real i agree with you 100 percent, and that's why to me this movie reminded me of sopranos because i think <laughs> sopranos like the 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 first the initial like innovative thing about sopranos is that it's like here's sort of a more like real life version of mobsters Mm-hmm. And they actually like are people who like quote Godfather They're like really all the time. The Godfather, uh, and 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 like not only is there that direct parallel here with them and Wall Street, but there's also that same dis like in the same way that like we've talked about this before. Like the the people in The Sopranos, they all suck. They're all losers. <laughs> um, they're just like rich and powerful people. And in this, and the, the exact same way here in Boiler Room. Like they might think they're like Gordon Gecko or even like Charlie Sheen um, in Wall Street, but they all actually are just like racist blowhard idiots um, that are like actually being taken advantage of too. Which is something mm-hmm. like they, we don't even see that come up in part where all these people are are gonna end up like totally fucked at the end of this movie too. Um, but it's it's so different from from Wall Street uh, or or even Trading Places where like. There's this, you know, presented a, a, a coolness to to being on Wall Street and doing this. Stuff. Even this this poster, I just in our Discord dropped one of the posters. Reminds is this a, this image kind of has a Sopranos vibe to me. It's yeah. like guys like they're at a Sopranos themed party. <laughs> Maybe it's just because it's like it started. This is two thousand. Sopranos around the same time. But like, yeah, I I, t- I yeah, like that comparison that too, too, where there's like both have that self awareness, like they know what they're doing. Um, and then just has that feel too. Um, and I love that they like they keep going to like um, like restaurants and getting made fun of. <laughs> like, <that's> just, <laughs> like they're never the cool guys anywhere they go. Like no one's getting laid. Like they're getting rich, but 
like the only people that get along with them are each Isn't other. Isn't that line where Giovanni he's just like, "Why do you still live with your mom?" <laughs> and he's like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> yeah, that's what he yeah, What do you mean? <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah, because they're like much like the Sopranos are playing gangsters. These guys are playing, you know, we're stock market guys. I mean, they are, but they're mm-hmm. not really. They're con. Yeah, they're not even in. They're not even working. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking Wall Long Street, Island. They're out in Long Island, <laughs> and they work for not um J.P. Morgan, but J.T. J.T. Marlin. It is. That is what it's called. <laughs> That's I, it. You got it. I even think about yeah. the fact that it's so close to the actual. It's name. pretty funny. <laughs> it's like these guys didn't figure this out that this was an extremely fake company. Um, and and yeah, and there are those like subtle hints that that's the deal too. Um, like in the first Ben Affleck speech, um, if you notice, the two people he kicks out um, are the one person who makes fun of one of the other brokers, and the one person who's already passed his series seven. Yeah. Um, so basically, he's getting rid of uh, like someone who won't fit in with the group because he needs everyone to be friends with each other, and also. Someone who's probably smart enough to know what they're doing is illegal. Right. He, doesn't want... <laughs> he just wants these like idiots that'll be friends with each other and <laughs> make them their money, and then they'll get screwed over in three months when they shut everything down. But Seth is and also smart. like young enough to not know how <laughs> these companies work when yeah. they're on the level. Mm-hmm. But Seth is smart. He has a casino in his house. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was like, this could be a movie too. I like this this portion some, of the story. Some risky business. What well, wasn't yeah. that the was was that Will Ferrell movie? The house. The house. So it is the plot to a movie. I think I watched that on an airplane or something. Okay. Was that uh how was that? I forgot this existed. <laughs> you think you watched it. So I uh, think it probably I watched wasn't very this. good. If you... <laughs> Can you tell me a single thing about it? Um, well, the reason they are running that wasn't in, in the trailer because they want to. Oh, that wasn't in the trailer. That's how I. I don't remember I really the trailer. You could fool me. Okay, okay. Well, here's the thing. I logged it on Letterboxd. Okay. So okay. I definitely did watch it on May 23rd, 2018. Nice. So we're very close to the five-year anniversary of me having watched the house. <laughs> um, uh, um, um, God. They're trying to make money because their kid wants to go to a fancy college. I know that. And they open up a casino. And... Um, um, uh, uh, Jeremy Renner is in it. Is that in the trailer? Is Jeremy Renner in the trailer? I don't think so. It sounds like a surprise cameo to me. I feel like they'd keep it out of the trailer, but I don't know. They put everything in trailers these days, so who knows? He's the evil mob boss in this. Okay. I think, yes, yes, because he can't be the evil mob boss in that tag movie that he's also in. <laughs> I mean, he's like he, the main character of that. He's like the main them. guy in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, he's the evil mob boss in that. Okay. Um, I think I watched Tag around the same time. <laughs> You're just going through a thing of comedies that time would forget. Yeah, sorry about that. No, um, no worries. <laughs> so, 
I like that he is running this casino because he's got, he's got initiative. But it's also like, how did he set this up? Because he's uh, like, he flunked out of college, and now he has a casino in his house that he has. Like, how did he get a house? He's he's got like closed circuit TVs, like, like watching the car games. Yeah. I don't know. He just has friends. <laughs> yeah, made it work. Yeah. Um, I also liked how on the nose they were that uh, he feels like he's always being judged by his father, who is a judge. (laughs) (laughs) Think about that. Even though it is incredibly obvious when you say it like that. Another great performance from Ron Rifkin. Those scenes are so painful, though. He's so mean. That was like my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Was their relationship. I just feel like it's not something I've seen much in a movie. I just feel like bad dads are so like obviously just like fuck ups, or they're just like they're they're good natured, but they're just like they just can't help. I don't know, getting into drugs or alcohol or whatever. But this yeah. guy's like very much like he seems like a good judge. He seems like he's on the level. He's a model citizen or whatever, but like mm-hmm. he still. Is kind of a crappy father because it doesn't seem like he's trying that hard with his son. It seems like he's given up on him already, and he's only nineteen. Yeah. Uh, and that's like, I like how complicated that is. That here's someone who mm-hmm. seems to have this persona as a a good guy, but seems like in his personal life, he could be doing a lot better, and kind of cares totally. more about his career than being a good father. Yeah, that I, I mean, so we were talking before about how like not cool these guys are, and I think what really epitomized that to me is the scene where he goes to his dad and just like has a big ugly cry. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't imagine, <laughs> like he, even Wall Street, which has like Charlie Sheen going to Martin Sheen and being like, "I need your help, Dad." It it doesn't have a big ugly cry like Giovanni Ribisi <laughs> does in this. He's just a kid. He's just, yeah, he's, he's really in a lot of trouble. I really liked Giovanni Ribisi in this, and I was trying to figure out why I haven't seen him as the lead in more movies. Like, is he weird? Like, I think he's a little too weird most of the time. Because he's always been busy, but it's it's so rare that he's, like, the centerpiece. But he's obviously good enough. Like, I think he's good enough to have... Like I could imagine him getting an Oscar nomination for something. He's clearly uh, talented, but I'm kind of looking through. Oh, he's in Saving Private Ryan. I forgot about that. Yeah, he's he's in the same. Thing the Boiler Room trivia section is just like nonstop. Like these people were in this movie, and these people were in that movie, and these guys. In <laughs> Giovanni Ribisi and Scott Con were in Gone in sixty seconds, and you know it's like I oh, I, I forgot that Giovanni Ribisi was in uh, that thing you do as well with Tom Everett Scott. Because he's the original yeah, yeah, bass player yeah. who like breaks his arm. Hmm. But I'm not sure what True. went wrong. Why he never? I guess he just never had that like that role to propel him. Like even though, I mean, it seems like this would have been. I know, but this, this movie, movie was so big. Just, I guess it was just too small. It didn't yeah. really make much of a an impact, which sucks too for like the director too. Because like 
I'm like, this is interesting. I wonder what else this guy's done. And it's like a bunch of other stuff I've never heard of. <laughs> like very like indie. Oh, wait, this one's got Meryl Streep. Okay, so yeah. he's worked well, with no, people but, of note. Yeah. But th- these careers are always so interesting to me because there's so much happening that's not in the Wikipedia and it's not on the IMDb. Yeah. That it's like really like what is going on with his life? Um, so we're talking about like Ben Younger, who wrote and directed this. Um, he was like a political analyst before. Uh, he he was like he, he was like a political science guy, right? Like he was. He, I think he was working mm-hmm. on someone's campaign, um, and he got disenfranchised, and that's how he took the interview at the uh, brokerage firm, which led to him writing Boiler Room. Um, so like he already was just like somebody who wanted to be a screenwriter, but didn't have the background in filmmaking. And then he doesn't write and direct a movie again until Prime, which comes out in 2005. Like John said, stars Uma Thurman and Meryl Streep. Um, and apparently is tied into some HBO show called Unscripted because the star of that show is also the star of this movie. Um, do you guys know the show Unscripted? Didn't sound familiar. Unscripted? It's a George Clooney, Steven Soderbergh produced show about the lives of um, struggling actors. And I guess one of the struggling actors is the guy who stars in Prime. Wow. Yeah, doesn't ring a bell. Um, But then he doesn't write and direct a movie again until 2016 when he does uh, Bleed for This, uh, which also has people in it, right? It's a a, kind of remember that movie. movie. Yeah, Aaron Haggard's in it. Ted Levine, Siren Hins, Mm -hmm. Katie Seagal. This guy just can't Mm -hmm. catch a break. Um, huge gap. Like what? How did how did it go? Eleven years between making movies and 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 get you know a roughly a list talent. I mean, you always hear that like there there are lots of writers and directors who just spend years trying to get different projects off the ground and they kind of go into development and then they just never quite get made because yeah couldn't get a big enough star attached or or whatever i mean i feel like there's so many different little kind of pedantic reasons that movies don't get made and directors go years without getting a movie um made it could also be you know, we were talking about moneyball earlier you know people i remember people saying like bennett miller like where did you go in between capote and moneyball he's like i was making commercials <laughs> so it's like it doesn't just yeah. because he's not making features doesn't mean he's not doing other stuff i mean he probably was just like it's true yeah selling specs or whatever but i, mean, I don't know maybe he's doing other stuff i don't know yeah well and and he probably will we need to interview while, him so we can help fill out his wikipedia a little more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get the deets yeah this is information we'll have to, see to know prime and bleed for this I mean, if you've worked with Vin Diesel and Ben Affleck, I imagine you got some stories. I want to hear them. <laughs> worked with Meryl Streep. Yeah, dude. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, just disappointing because this movie does have. I was gonna say a unique voice. It is. It does feel a little bit like, you know, like a lesser Goodfellas or something. But it is. It is like, it has its own kind of like biting sense of humor and like, and satire. I remember I really liked the opening narration, where they had. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi's character Seth talking about like I heard that like Microsoft has more millionaire secretary secretaries than any other company. 
Like the groundskeepers like have Ferraris. <laughs> like I thought that was all pretty funny. I don't know what the hell he's yeah. talking about. Well, and he and he says, I, so I got into the white boy equivalent of slinging crack. I got into stocks. yeah, that's good. That's funny. Um, and speaking of the white boy aspect of this, um, so Nia Long plays the, uh, um, I guess secretary of this yeah. company. Um, it's not. I think yeah. yeah. Um, and it's implied that she had a relationship with, um, with Greg, the Nikki Cat character, um, and now she's interested in, uh, Giovanni Ribisi, and, um, I just want to say, I read Roger Ebert's review, and he really liked this little subplot <laughs> of her. Um, he, he said, uh, the character Abby felt like a really three-dimensional love interest, uh, and that uh, he wished there were more characters like her in other movies, um, which I feel guilty about because I kind of took Neil Long's whole presence in this movie for granted. Did did this performance or this character stand out to you guys at all? Because to me, I, I wouldn't have even really thought to say much about her. I will say, sadly, it stood out to me just because it's so uncommon for the female lead to be black. And I do like Nia Long, even though I haven't seen her that much. I mean, I liked her, but yeah, I don't know that she had anything super interesting to do. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought she was good, but it, it wasn't anything special for me. I certainly didn't get what Roger Ebert got out of it. <laughs> I mean, he, he does have a soft spot for black women. That's true. He's married to one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought she was good. It's just kind of a... There's not that much to this part, but um, yeah, I did like her in it. Nice to have some diversity in this movie, full of <laughs> identical white men. <laughs> and, and, and there Vin is Diesel and whatever Vin Diesel is mysterious. About I know. At first, I was reading like the top of the Wikipedia, and I was like, "This was nominated for a Black Reel Award." And I was like, "For Vin Diesel?" And I was like, "Oh no, it's Neil Long," because <laughs> I was like, "I'm not sure." Also, it sounds like you got something to say, Sean, but I do want to t- touch on this movie getting Teen Choice Award nominations. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay, I'll just see it now then. Okay, so this movie, it didn't win, but it got two nominations for Teen Choice Awards. Giovanni Ribisi was nominated for Choice Liar. <laughs> Choice Liar? <laughs> and then Ben Affleck was nominated for Choice Sleazebag. <laughs> Do you guys want to know who else was nominated for his choice sleaze bag? In the year 2000? Uh, it's, there's a lot of nominations. Like, uh, I don't know, you Queen Phoenix and Gladiator. I don't know. All right, I'm going to... bag. Some, what, okay, these are weird. Okay, so, yeah, Ben Affleck, Andy Dick for Road Trip, Scott Foley for Scream 3. Wow, this is really of its time. <laughs> James Franco in Whatever It Takes. Never heard of it. What the fuck is Whatever that? It, takes. it looks fake. It looks weird. <laughs> ha- Helen Mirren in Teaching Mrs. Tingle. She was Mrs. Tingle, the evil teacher. Okay, I don't even know what the- Trevor Morgan in The Sixth Sense. Who, who is Tommy? Is the character? Do you remember this character in The Sixth Sense? I don't even know what this is. Uh, no. Tommy in the Sixth. Okay, I'm going over to the Sixth Sense Wikipedia. Sorry, I know. I I thought I knew that movie. 
Tommy's only mentioned once in the cast section, so I don't. I'd have to watch it. Okay, uh, st- <laughs> Stifler. Well, I didn't win. Stifler Ooh. for American Pie, Ooh. the first one. It's a good sleep. But, but the mm. winner, of course, Fat Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is a fun category. I think it's um, it's also villain, but they kind of it, it, it used to be sleazebag, I guess. Stifler <laughs> did win and win eventually for American Wedding. In case you guys wanted to know, so okay, so good. it's I I think it's it's not gender segregated, right? Because you said Helen that's, Mirren that's was correct. also nominated. You can, a sleazebag can be a man, woman, anyone can anything. Be a I'm really I, it, it, the only thing about the Wikipedia page for this is it doesn't. Say, oh, it, no, oh, yeah, it was Choice Sleeves Bag from 99 to 2002. So there's only a handful of winners. <laughs> like Sarah Michelle Geller won for Cruel Intentions. Dwayne Johnson won for The Scorpion King. <laughs> Not really what I'd consider a sleaze bag. Wait, wait. <laughs> the movie The Scorpion King, where he's the hero? He's the. No, it's actually it's The Mummy Returns, uh, where he's a CGI oh. monster near the end. That makes more sense. Oh, there's flashbacks. There's flashbacks. To oh, Stifler did also win for American Pie too. That was the last year they called it Sleaze Bag. Oh, they brought him back. Then it became just villain. Um, do we consider Stifler the villain of American? <laughs> no, I, uh, why? He, would, he shouldn't even be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> and while I'm on here, I got to see that that liar category there's okay I, i'm sorry i gotta run through this real quick just because i find these so yeah. funny here's everyone that was nominated for best liar giovanni Rabisi, amanda pete for the whole nine yards i mean she lies at the end and teams up with okay that's stupid steve martin and bowfinger toby mcguire and wonder boys chris <laughs> klein and american pie struggling to remember what they're referring to exactly <laughs> Uh, Joshua Jackson and the Skulls, uh, which is like about like a skull and bones type society. I think that's also mm. got Paul Walker, Matt Damon for Talented Mr. Ripley, but the winner was Tom oh. Green for Road Trip. Road Trip. <laughs> what did he lie about Road Trip? Yeah. How did he beat he Tom Ripley? <laughs> created us yeah. a, a whole other identity. Um, I don't. I haven't seen Road Trip. I know Matt Damon has a camp. No, he's in Euro Trip. <laughs> I don't know anything about Road Trip. I, I thought I didn't think Tom Green even ends up going on the road trip. Isn't he like the guy that stays back? I don't know. I don't know. This is Maybe all he so the weird. Whole road trip in motion with a lie. I'm gonna spend some time looking at this later. It's just such a time capsule. There's, there's so much. There's such a weird mix of like trash and then like good movies and then just stuff I've never heard of. I mean, the fact that Boiler Room got two nominations is it's like one of the most notable things about the movie is that it got award recognition at the Teen Choice Awards. So Boiler Room did make four times its budget in the box. That's office. good. It didn't make a lot of money. It made it made it cost seven million dollars to make it it made 28 million dollars at the box office um and the critics seem to be okay with it it looks like it's got a 66 on rotten tomatoes which is you know fresh. i feel like that's where this podcast kind of sits at in terms of like th- that's yeah. our sweet spot 
<laughs> Something that's like it's a like, little good, you know, but also kind of forgotten. You know that meme of like the guy in the cool jacket like peeking out from behind the tree? That's like us <laughs> when we hands. see like a 60%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I find they're usually, not always, but usually, in my opinion, a little better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. Do people used to be harder on movies or something? Is the, is the critic landscape changed? Or no, has it not? Mm. I just feel like there's so... I feel like... I don't know. I feel like Marvel doesn't really have to try that hard to get a fresh rating i mean i guess they're still that they're still decent so that's probably why but i guess it's just because most of the movies that come out now are part of franchises and so much goes into building that franchise that they're usually at least you know fine um i don't know not getting as many boiler rooms (laughs) yeah or at least they're not getting the publicity of even a boiler room anymore. Because, I mean, a thousand films get dumped onto Netflix every year that people never hear about. Oh, yeah. This would have gone, like, straight to, uh, like, I'm trying to think of the most niche streaming service. What did uh, the Weird Al movie come out on? The Roku Yeah, this come out on, like, the Roku channel. Yeah. Or Crackle, if that still exists. <laughs> um, Yeah, since we're kind of going just, you know, wherever we please, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if we're ready to jump to the end, but do you guys feel like to- there needed to be more that happened to Tom Everett Scott, seeing as he's sort of the like supposed mastermind behind all this? I was kind of, like, waiting for, like, yeah. the big, like... <laughs> I got you moment. But I think you want to see that in a movie where like everything mm-hmm. there's the the high highs but then everything goes way down. Like what's you know <laughs> you guys don't need to hear me talk about what's great about Goodfellas, but <laughs> in that movie you do get to see like everybody either get whacked or go to jail. Or uh, or Henry Hill just ends up as a, a schnook in the suburbs. Like you get to see everybody get their comeuppance for all the good times they had earlier in their lives, being being bad guys. And you don't really the, get that payoff with this movie, like at all. Basically, you just can kind of imagine what happens because, uh, yeah, at the end, Giovanni Ribisi's just driving away from the firm and. We know that he's just going to go find a new job, but we don't know what's really going to happen to everyone else. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the, the, here's the the big difference between this and Goodfellas, though, is that Giovanni Urbisi never gets in like Henry Hill does. Like, he is still not the, like, he's not the bottom of the pecking order, but he's not that far from it. I guess and, that's true. And the whole reason that this scheme works is because people don't get close to Tom Everett Scott. <laughs> and so like really the only uh the only connection they could give him was that you know he comes up with the scheme to help the one guy that he's been screwing um I think Harry was his name. Yeah. Uh 
he comes with a scheme to help him sort of get his money back. Uh, and that takes Tom Everett Scott. He needs to sign off on it. Um, but other than that, like the whole reason the scheme works is that he's isolated from him. And the movie never takes the angle of, of Giovanni Ribisi being the informant because they already decided that Nia Long is the FBI informant and they really only bring the FBI plot into Giovanni Ribisi's sphere in the last, like, I don't know, 20 minutes of the movie. So he's, he's, he's always siloed off in his own little world where he's just trying to make money and make Dad proud. I was still expecting, like, a bigger reveal about Tom Everett Scott, though, that Giovanni Ribisi would learn. I don't know what that would be, but he just presented as so mysterious when we first see him. Mm-hmm. I guess there isn't really much more to him. He's just like Ben Affleck or one of these other guys at the company. He just happens to be the one, you know, the top of the pyramid. There's also a thing they do, which I know they tell, especially first-time screenwriters to do, which is they start the movie with an interesting thing, which in this case is like the party bus scene leading to the, like, all the douchebags going to town on that hotel. Yeah. Um, which we get to eventually, but we kind of find out that it's like, that's only an interesting time. If you fully understand how the scam works, as far as like the plot of the movie, it's not a particularly interesting moment to return to. It's not like a pivotal, a pivotal, a pivotal, um, like turning point for anyone. It's just a, a turning point in the scheme, which doesn't really matter to us because, like Giovanni Ribisi's arc with the scheme is also that he is um, like kind of okay with with scamming people until it blows up in his face. That's an, that's another I think interesting part of the movie that um, he talks to Nia Long and she's like, "Yep, yeah, the people I work for are racist, but I'm making way more money than I would in any other job, and I need it." Mm-hmm. Um, and then later he's like, "Yeah, I'm scamming people, but." I'm okay with it because it's like kind of legal. <laughs> I mean, he did the Harry thing really ate away at him, though. Yeah. So I do wonder if if he hadn't been busted by the FBI, if he would have turned over a new leaf because of that. I was so expecting yeah, Harry to the... kill himself too. I was like, "This is I don't like where this is. This is stressful." Watching this guy blow away all his money. Um. Luckily, it didn't go too dark. I guess it didn't need no. to. I was kind of ha- happy that it did it. I was so expecting, yeah, there's like suicide, and like like guys would start getting guns, and be like, "You can't talk. We gotta <laughs> kill you now, Giovanni yeah. BC." <laughs> uh, but he did lose his life saving. I mean, he gets it back at the end, but we did get to see basically because we don't get to see him getting the money back. We did basically get to see the arc of what happened to basically all the people that they're scamming. They just lose their life savings and have nothing to show for it. Do you think, uh, as for the guys getting busted, do you think Vin Diesel got away? He was, like, getting his shit together after Seth told him. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I felt I bad because he... had time to get away <laughs> from it all. Like, they, the FBI came later that day. Seth was one of the less bad guys. He, he did have the moment where he did sign off on the papers that Seth needed him to sign off for. Tell Perry, so... Right, yeah, he helped Harry, and... Um, and we see him like stuffing those FedEx envelopes in his bag, which we know are 
just full of cash. Okay. Um, so he maybe <laughs> he maybe he maybe he got away with a with a small payday, but um, uh, you know they kn- they know his name, so the FBI is going to get him, and and I imagine he'll not be allowed to trade stocks again. So he'll have to find a new lifestyle and a new job. He's going to have to live his uh, life a but, quarter mile at a time now. Yeah. I think um, to me the 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 writing is a big strength of this movie though um, just because I, I it started to sound like maybe I was nitpicking the writing too much yeah um, I think I think there are like those Ben Affleck monologues are good I think there's just also some like really good examples of uh, like telemarketing and 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 salesmanship the the I think my favorite is um, one day Giovanni Ribisi's like eating breakfast and oh, the, yeah. like a, a newspaper telemarketer calls him and tries to sell him on a subscription to their newspaper. And he sort of like coaches him to make a better pitch. And then at the end he's like, no, fuck you. I already have a subscription to the times. Yeah. No, that was a great scene. Just kind of, this is what it's like to be a salesman. This is how you got to do. <laughs> yeah. To convince people. I know that's one of the strengths of this. I mean, I think it's a solid, like first script, like a debut movie. But it just was so not, did not make any kind of mark that it wasn't enough of a, like a a jumping off point for this Ben Younger guy, which is a shame because who knows what else, uh, what other stuff he had. I mean, he did make some other stuff, but in a world where Mick G gets to make so many movies. (laughs) (laughs) In a world where the 11th Fast and Furious movie is coming out this week. Um, probably out by the time you hear this podcast. Maybe we could have spent a little more on Bed Younger. Um, oh, I saw he's worked on some TV. Okay, okay. Did six episodes of that um, Snowfall show that I keep forgetting exists oh. with the guy who might replace uh, Jonathan Majors. We'll see about yeah, that. Know. Uh, maybe Vin Diesel will apply for that Kang job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet he'd love it. Um, as long as we're on IMDb, I will say uh, one goof that I r- rolled my eyes at, and of course is then written down here, is that when the FBI arrests Seth, they tell him to go to work the next day and copy his entire C drive onto a floppy. Uh <laughs> So the storage size of a floppy disk is about 1.5 megabytes. Um, so I think the copy speed we see in the movie is about correct. But um, I, even in 2000, his whole C drive would not fit on one floppy disk. <laughs> and also, I don't know why they made him do that. Because like 100%, the FBI is going to seize those hard drives. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be there 15 minutes after he walks out of the room. So... Um, just a nice yeah. little tent seat, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to load it up on his floppy disk. Get that floppy disk. To see if Nikki Cat spots him. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is still a time where people don't like 100% understand computers. They're starting to learn. Yeah. You can and still and now it's. I mean, it still works now because no one understands Nobody how understand. floppy disk works. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it works both ways. Then and now. It's a good point. When when I was um, studying design uh, 10 years ago, 
that's one of the things we talked about was how um, people just call it the save icon now. Like people, when they see next to the save disc. button, a floppy disk, mm. it do, they, they don't process that like as a, a rendering of a floppy disk anymore. It's just like, oh, that's just what saving looks like. That's interesting. I never thought about that. <laughs> Uh, well, there is no villains wiki for this movie. <laughs> they're all the villains. I guess Tom Everett Scott would have been the one if you had to make one. It's the most. The so I am looking up the um, the top ten for that uh, week. If you guys want to hear what was in the top ten. <laughs> okay, so well, I can guess one of them. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna guess right. I pitch black. Yeah, pitch black pitch number black. four. <laughs> yep. Um, boiler room number eight. Yeah. It made the 10. I assume this opened pretty limited. Uh, Maybe. It, it did. It did. Okay. I mean, it was like a major studio, though. Oh, you're right. Sort oh, we of. didn't talk about... I forgot. I'm glad that you reminded me. <gasps> the fact this is a New Line Cinema film, and it opens with a... But then it's like... Wicka, wicka, wicka. Record scratch. And that's like so much of the soundtrack of this movie is like... Wicka, wicka. The soundtrack of this movie I thought was pretty cool. It's pretty good. Yeah, I like all it's the records. Of its time, but it ends with that Simon yeah. Says song with the awesome Godzilla sample. Yeah, it's it sort of reminds me of Office Space because it's like you know white dudes in an office. With <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the great comparison. Uh, no, no, I think there's even a uh, a De La Soul song from that album that was my little pick a few weeks ago really <laughs> balloon mindscape wow. yeah. cool cool i think yeah. there's a, there's also a, a tribe called quest in there too yeah dude um all right so this top 10 i'm gonna give it to you guys 10 was the cider house rules so this is a movie nice. that came out the previous year that is still in the top 10 yeah i was thinking that might there might be a few of those in the top oh, ten, like few. Oscar movies still in theaters. Oh, yeah. So you can probably guess at least one more that's in the top ten. Ooh, American Beauty. American Beauty's number nine, yeah. yeah. Still um, in its 23rd weekend. <laughs> People just couldn't get enough of Kevin Spacey being a creep. But now nobody wants it. Our right. times have changed. But there's so many nights. No, though, that's movies. pretty much it. That's be pretty going. much it. I'll, 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 you guys, okay. it would take a while to get the rest of these. <laughs> Seven is uh, in its second week is The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. Danny Boyle's The Beach. Weird movie. Uh, yeah. I kind of like it. It kind of sucks. kind of weird. Scream <laughs> 3. Big, big favorite at the Teen Choice Awards. <laughs> you know, still mm. kids still love Scream. Remember Scream 6 won the top yeah. prize at the mtv movie awards kids love to scream it's in its third week that's probably the worst one though scream three james hot bob are in, yeah, yeah i was just gonna ask <laughs> also a very comedic cameo of with patrick warburton as like a funny like security guard um he was doing that at that time he's also got that funny cameo in men in black too remember that yeah, as the the, the temporary partner, we got oh, yeah. the fucking Tigger movie at number five <laughs> in its second week. Wow, that would go. It's, is definitely, that that... it's definitely a movie that came out, and we were probably like, "We're too old." Oh, for this. absolutely. We're not babies. We're yeah. not seeing the Tigger movie. 
Is that the movie where that really sad gif of Tigger walking away, uh, like, crying is Maybe. From? I don't know. The Tigger... God, that would never be in theaters now. <laughs> Straight to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Pitch Black uh, at number three, and its second week is Snow Day. I want to see Snow Day. Is, should I see Snow Day someday? I saw that in theaters. Yeah, so you're you're my good friend Sean Lemmy oh, and his nice. family. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This Tigger footage looks old. This doesn't. Not, this does not yeah, look it's like, like it's unless that movie just repurposed old footage. <laughs> <laughs> it's just why would Tigger be so sad in anything but his own story? Uh, number two is some Diane Keaton movie called Hanging Up. <laughs> oh, I kind of remember that. And one, I always forget this movie was a hit, and I did see it not in theaters, but I did see it new on can I, video. Can I? Can I try and guess? This yes, one? you can. I'll give you some clues if you. Yeah, go ahead. I'll take a clue. Okay, it's a comedy. Um, it's. It, I'd say it's. It's a stars a a funny guy and a a guy who's usually more serious, more of an action guy. Hmm. The funny guy is mostly known for TV. This is probably his most, most notable movie. And this movie did get a is it, a is it the whole nine it's yards? the whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, which I did see and disliked. <laughs> Matthew Perry plays a dentist who, I guess his neighbor is a crime guy. And then they get he gets mixed up with them. And they, like, switch romantic but- partners at some point in the movie. Like Amanda Pete is his wife, and then because she's a choice liar, uh, joins up with Bruce Willis or something. Um, two things I remember about that movie: one, Ma Clark Duncan, always a treat, uh, and two, uh, that's how I learned that they use dental records to identify really dead bodies. I think I we didn't watch this together, did we, Sean? I we I think we did. <laughs> Because I think I because when you said that, it's like I feel like I came to the same conclusion when I saw this movie. We probably were like, "Oh yeah, we we're watching it." I think we watched it together. My Clark Duncan also in this. I remember like Kevin Pollock is um, Bruce Willis's like nemesis and dies, but then Kevin Pollock is in the sequel as like a different character <laughs> in heavy makeup. I don't know if he's oh he's really heavy makeup. The poster to the whole ten yards is really bad. It looks like um, Kevin Pollock's playing Jiminy Glick. It's a Howard Deutsch joint. Oh, yeah, he does. Looks exactly like Jiminy Glick. My guess, now I, I'm not, this is without like, reading anything, is that Kevin Pollock was part of some like crime gang, and then in the sequel he played like the, the leader of that gang or something. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I think. Oh, God. Ugh. There's a movie like I have no interest in revisiting. Like I know it sucks. Yeah, let's never find out. Though Ebert Ebert <laughs> does say Amanda Peet's performance was perfect. Wait, and, and the, is he just saying that because she took her boobs yes. out? Yes, we does we like definitely boobs. watch this movie together because like you're saying all the things that I remember about it. There's a, she like tries to distract somebody by like po- like being topless out a window, and then somebody mm-hmm. gets killed. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not even creative. Like, 
the guy just like puts his gun down because she has her boobs out and then she just like picks up the gun and shoots yeah him. is it harlan williams maybe like he's like oh what oh man <laughs> I see he says a special agent in it. <laughs> he really he really does have a very like <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy Stewart slash Don Knotts demeanor. Yeah. Updated for the nineties. Is Rocket Man still good? In my I feel like it would still be kind of funny. For a kid's movie. Is. I mean it's got one of the most powerful fart scenes in the history of cinema, so I bet you're going to like it. The fact that I, you know, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and I still remember four or five jokes. It must be at yeah, least. I totally remember scenes yeah. from it. So it left yeah. an impact. It's good. Rocket Man's good. Mm-hmm. My parents have a autographed copy of, of Rocket Man, autographed by Harlan Williams. That's got to be worth something, right? I think they went and saw him do stand-up just because of Rocket Man, and they like got him to sign. Yeah, it. yeah. Har- that's you know. Now that I think of it, Harlan Williams is a weird person for your parents to go see. Mm-hmm. Because like I, he's in like a lot of dirty. He's like half baked, and there's something about Mary. Like, I, I, I guess Rocket Man. Yeah, that's a. Uh, that's fun for the whole family. Disney movie. Most of his stuff is pretty. God, he's in Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> it's a, pre, like, a lot of trash. Sorority Boys. Like a lot of trash. <laughs> um, Rockman, though. Great movie. Hey, speaking of trash, John, what's your My next, next pick? My next pick. Um, <laughs> wow. My next... Wow. Well, it might be trash. It, it could be. Um, I've been doing a lot of anniversaries. I pretty much do that every year on the yeah. pick. And so we... Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. What have we done? We've done a 93 movie. We've done a 2003. We did a 2013. 13. Um, so I was thinking of doing a, a 15th anniversary. So a 2008. And uh, oh. I, I, I think... It, it, I'm trying to think of a funny way to introduce this. Let's just say if Mario was here, <laughs> Super Mario, <laughs> he would be so excited to say the name of this movie. Mamma Mia. No. I don't watch Mamma Mia. Oh my god, we're doing it. <laughs> I've never Finally. seen it. Um, it's got its uh, anniversary in June or July, depending on. I think July, but we'll be in Criterion Month. So. July, whenever The Dark Knight came out. Well, the premiere was in out, June. Didn't it come out the same day? I think yeah. I think it's wide release. Yeah, same same day as Dark Knight. <laughs> I mean, it did really well. It it made six hundred and eleven million dollars against a fifty two million dollar budget. But I just want to see what the well. deal is with it, like. I feel like we've always threatened to watch it. It seems like a good summer movie. It'd be kind of interesting to explore our relationships with ABBA, if any. Mm-hmm. Um, It'd be interesting to see what ABBA songs are left that they had to make. It. I know. I was Mama thinking about that. Like, what, what, did, <laughs> with... what table scraps did they use for Mamma Mia 2? Yeah. Um, it's got a, we got a couple three-timers, I think, joining. I think uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Because he was in Hunt for Red October and Dune and this, so he's now in. 
It'll be our mm. fourth Colin Firth, right? Paddington, Love Actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Colin Firth. We got Meryl Streep, one of Ben Younger's favorite people. Yeah. yeah. It's all connected. Also, I don't know. For some reason, when I think of Mamma Mia, I also think of my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> I guess because Mamma Mia takes place in Greece, in Greece <laughs> and the poster also has like the same color scheme as the big fat Greek wedding. Yeah, <laughs> same kind of aesthetic. Dark just like blue a lot of people. against uh, more of a sky blue, lighter blue, and <laughs> a lot, lot of blue. Light. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're always kind of waiting for like a special occasion to watch this movie, but I just it hasn't happened and i don't know i i just feel like it's got to be now or never for me and it is on amazon prime video so if you have that you can watch it there i don't know if it's available anywhere else right now i didn't check um i'll try to watch both of them you're gonna uh, don't say that because now i feel like i gotta watch both of them i don't we'll see yeah you don't you definitely don't (laughs) i think i'm just curious like sean to be like so they used all the music. What's left? It's like if they'd made Across the Universe 2. And it's like, yeah. uh, Mean Mr. Mustard is in this one. <laughs> uh, don't pat Rocky Raccoon. Do we do Rocky Raccoon? <laughs> That's actually a really funny idea. They should definitely should make that Across the Universe 2. Like, uh, some, great timing. some of their covers. Uh, Long Tall Sally. Yeah. <laughs> This is great timing. I just, yeah, because Eurovision just happened, and that's uh, that's where uh, uh, ABBA came from. That's where it all started. I didn't even know that. I'm gonna have to do a little research. I don't really know that much about ABBA, but I want to get into this a little bit on the episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I might be the biggest ABBA fan of us three. But I mean, you obviously you are huge you are. ABBA fans. I know, I but I haven't it. listened to the albums. I've just listened to the greatest Well, maybe hits you should listen lot. to one. <laughs> maybe I will. Maybe I will. Yeah. I'm making no promises about additional music. If Pierce Brosnan's not singing, I'm not really that interested. <laughs> uh, yeah, gosh. I'm so excited to hear Pierce Brosnan belt it. <laughs> For me, this could be the whole new direction of the season, is, is just watching musicals with people who can't sing it. <laughs> Like we can watch <laughs> that uh, latest oh, with Russell Crowe, twenty twelve with Russell Crowe, like greatest toxics. God, horrible! What a horrible! I was let let they Rob more like more miserable. <laughs> let like less is more more miserable. Yes. Yeah. Well, I got I it. Good. Yeah, yeah, you, good. You could you could have let that one stand on. Uh, I didn't get I didn't get it at first. I needed. <laughs> I, well, I should have said thank you. because well, it's not less miserable. It's, uh, it, there's definitely there's some work that needs to be done. You could have called it John John miserable. <laughs> Wait, why could what could have called it John miserable? Because you were miserable watching it. <laughs> that sounds like a stupid like British like what was that Jude Law movie where he's gross. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? He's got like big mutton chops and a mustache. I feel like the movie's uh, just his name. Well, Jude I gotta, Law? I gotta know. Dom uh, Hemingway. I'm, okay, I'm okay I guess his name wasn't funny. <laughs> his name wasn't Don Miserable. <laughs> I thought it would be like a weird name, like 
Like Richard Sleaze, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that whole subgenre of uh, British actors embarrassing themselves in comedies <laughs> like that and Mordecai. Where it's like, let's give you the worst facial hair possible, and then that's it. And your sleaze back, and that's the movie. That's what John Miserable would be. Who would it be, though? Sounds like Mordecai. Yeah. Uh, well, you got to get some British guy, like, in his maybe 50s. Maybe Benedict. Yeah, Benedict. Benedict is definitely John Miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got, like, some weird folk- fucking... Uh, I'm trying to think of a weird facial hair pattern. I don't know, man. He's got, like, a big wizard beard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> But he always wears suits. He always wears and, uh, suits, but he's got like a gross, yeah. oh, gr- yeah. like a gross beard that he parts over his shoulder. He should have a, f- a funny hat too, like a bowler or a top hat or something. Just got a bowler top hat. <laughs> Maybe a monocle. No one knows what the movie's actually about because no one will ever watch it. You guys are kind of describing what I imagine Jude Law will look like if they make a th- another Fantastic Beast movie. <laughs> oh wow. I guess that beard's got to start growing, right? Right, because he's got to start making that transition, and he's wearing the suits. I bet he doesn't just stop wearing the suits and start wearing robes the same day he grows the beard. (laughs) All right, Dom Hemingway, future pick. Let's uh, make that happen. (laughs) Okay. Um, So if you want to stay subscribed for that to come out, um, you'll want to look up Mildly Pleased on... Uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever the thing is you use. Uh, why is it called Miley Please? Because that's the name of our blog. It's over at MileyPlease.com. You can go there too. And uh, you'll, you'll be able to read uh, mostly uh, uh, Colin's favorite albums of recent months. Um, but uh, we're teasing, I think, here a, a, little, a little feature that we might do on the blog. We might not. Um, uh, if we don't, we'll have um, Criterion Month in July, so that's not too far off. Um, and um, yeah, thanks so much for uh, for listening. Uh, and of course, there's no question whether you'll become a millionaire. The only question is how many times over. Uh, you think I'm joking? I'm not joking. I'm a fucking millionaire. <laughs> you know, you said that Ben Affleck in Boiler Room. It's a pretty good movie. Go see it. <laughs> Get the fuck up. Simon says, get the fuck up. Put your hands to the sky. Brooklyn in the back, shooting crash now. What's up? Girlies, rub on your titties. Fuck it, I said, rub on your titties. New York City, pretty committee, pity the food at Act City in the midst of the calm, the witty. Yo, where you at? Uptown, let me see them. Notorious for the six fives and the BMs. Heads give you beef, you put them in the mausoleum and shit.